fasten your seatbelt. I am taking you for the ride of your life. I'm going to show you what this car can really do. Are you ready? I am ready. Hang on. Okay. Here we go. Hold on to your butts. Forget him, kid. To infinity and beyond! It might be a tumor. It's not a tumor. It's not a tumor at all. So you can go ahead and ask me what you're going to ask me, and my natural response could be to get offended. Well, fine, let's talk about it. Any thoughts of, of your own on this matter? But you, is that your thing? You come into a bar, you read some obscure passage, and then pretend you, you pawn it off as your own idea just to impress some girls? Just another American who saw too many movies as a child. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. All right, all right, all right. You're listening to the 30-something movie podcast. One movie each week, 30 years in the making. It is the 30-something movie podcast. I am your host, John Reed. We are here for another fun movie from 1993. Actually, we're running kind of down to the end of the wire here. Getting yeah. very, very close to the end of the year and heading on into 94 pretty soon. But uh, So yeah. this episode is part of our Good Eaten Month where we have got the, the movies that follow that theme are Alive, What's Eating Gilbert Grape, which is this episode's movie, and then Tombstone, which is going to be coming up next week. So, And I did actually, when we watched uh, Tombstone recently, I did actually go out and get a Tombstone pizza and eat that of while watching the movie because that's what you do. So That's the tradition, right? That's the Reed tradition? It is the tradition. So, As you can hear, I've got a few other folks here with me, so let's find out what's eating them. Patrick, how are you doing? Hey, guys. Doing well. Good. Doing well. Good. Dennis? I'm, I'm very thankful. Yes. It is Thanksgiving week that we are Here. recording this. So <laughs> we are, we're, most of us are thankful we just don't have work for the rest of the week. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's what I'm thankful for. Oh, yeah. Bo, how are yes. you doing? Bo, are you thankful that you had four different devices that you could set up tonight when you were having trouble? Very much so. <laughs> yes. Well, you look like you're fine now, so. Well, that's good. Okay. That's good. How does it sound? Sounds great. Okay, Sounds good. great, man. So you this is can. all working. You sound I, marvelous. Duct marvelous. tape and bailing wire for the win, my friends. Duct go. tape and bailing wire. There you go. I, people can't see this at home, but that tinfoil hat you're wearing looks lovely. <laughs> oh, <laughs> got to keep the the aliens out glad somehow. You're, glad you're getting good reception yeah. with that. So, yes, our movie this time around is What's Eating Gilbert Grape. So, very, very quickly, we spoil freely. If we start to talk about a movie you don't want to hear about, hit that little skip button maybe once or twice on your podcast app of choice, and we'll probably have moved on by that point. Make sure you visit our website, 30podcast, that's 30andpodcast.com. You can leave us a rating, leave a voicemail. There is a link there that can take you to our Patreon page, where if you want to join us over there, we've got a bunch of bonus content. We put out bonus episodes every single month over there full length ones little short episodes that are 10 15 minutes a piece and we got a lot of fun stuff over there there's also all kinds of other benefits depending on what level you choose to join us at over there really really helps out the show helps kind of keep things running over there and helps us cover some of the costs of running the show yeah i i think i mean i think that's what i got for now so i think we can thank you to our patrons yeah thank you to our patrons absolutely that's very meaningful. It's it's been a lot of fun to record some of those because I kind of just do those by myself, the little Patreon short mm-hmm. episodes, and the yeah. couple couple that I've done recently were kind of just a look back, a real quick like 10, 15 minute look back at Cheers, the oh. X Files, Lois and Clark, Quantum Leap, 
So it's been fun just to, like to sit and it's been a little bit of a challenge to narrow that down to 10, 15 minutes, but to just get to sit for like 10, 15 minutes and just talk about to, to just gush about what you love about these TV shows has been a lot of fun. Yeah, it's, it's cool. I remember when I decided to rewatch cheers oh, and yeah. it's funny because it was a couple of years ago. And when I first saw it, I was a kid and I just didn't get it. And I remember all the adults loving it. And I remember thinking, okay, this, I know this is a good show. I mean, people are watching, but then when I rewatched it a couple of years ago, I was falling off the couch every night. I'm like, oh. this is absolutely amazing. Yeah. Yeah. If you are considering becoming one of our Patreon co-executive producers, you can get access to all these bonus content pieces, these bonus episodes at any level of support. It does not have to be the one of the higher tiers of support. Any level of support gets you access to those. And I'm going to tell you right now, just within the last few days or so of this recording, I finished up the editing and posted our King Kong episode, the 1933 King Kong. We did talk about the other two King Kong movies, but it was primarily the 30s. King Kong, the original King Kong movie, and we talked about Max Steiner's score, and we talked about the visual effects and all that. Um, that is an awesome episode, and it ended up being oh, cool. close to, if not over, two hours long. So oh, wow. in terms of getting your bonus content, we had almost everybody was all together in that one, and it's a two-hour bonus episode, so, I mean, worth the price of admission right there. If you want to join us over on Patreon, that one alone will be worth the price of admission. However, we do also have, we're close to, I think we're, I want to say we're close to 40 full-length Patreon episodes over there. So even if you listened to a Patreon episode once a week, you could pretty much stretch it to an entire year that you'd get bonus content there, so... It is definitely worth it. There are some amazing episodes over there, but the King Kong one in particular was a lot of fun to do. Cool. So, all right, real quick before we jump into this, I want to do a quick recap of the episodes we've got coming up for the rest of the year. We have this one is What's Eating Gilbert Grape. Tombstone, as I said, is next week. I'm excited for a couple of the other ones this year because Tombstone, we are, and I think he's going to be available. So Tombstone, we are going to have Rob Perry, who is one of our Patreon co-executive producers. He's hoping to join us on that one. So looking forward to having him on for that one. And then the next week, basically mid-December, mid to late December is going to be the uh, the time of the guest hosts because after Tombstone coming out, this one actually, this was a Christmas gift for you. If you celebrate Christmas, this is a Christmas gift for you coming out on Christmas Day. We are releasing Son-in-Law, which we should have Jason Colvin from the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast as our guest on that one. So Awesome. So we've got a, a fun little stretch of guest hosts that are in here with us. And then we're ending the year with The Nightmare Before Christmas is going to come out, I think, the very last Wednesday of the year. And then I think just before New Year's, just before the year ends, we're going to be putting out a special episode at Pat's request. We're doing Enter the Dragon from 1973. So. Huzzah! Mm-hmm. So we have awesome. the, the month of December is chock full of stuff. We we will we started the month with our 500th anniversary, and we're mm-hmm. going to finish the month off with a bunch of guest hosts and Enter the Dragon as the last one we do for the year. So awesome, good stuff, good stuff, and good times. And then I I sat down and kind of worked through the whole schedule for the beginning of next year as well, and that's that's going to be some fun stuff too. Our first Patreon of next year is Seven Samurai. I, I cannot oh, wait. It's, it's been a couple of years since I watched it, so I cannot wait to watch it again. I'm I'm trying to decide whether or not I 
want to go track down and, and uh, make sure that there's a 4K version of it that I could check out and, you know, maybe maybe use that as my viewing experience. I did get, I don't know if I told you guys this, I did buy the 4K copy of RAN. Oh, jeez. Oh, it's pretty. Oh, wow. It's pretty and it sounds amazing and it's all kinds of good stuff, so... So, yeah, so our first Patreon will be Seven Samurai of the next year. And then here's our first month. So I'm, I'm not going to spoil anything else beyond the first month, but January is our Law and Order month. And our movies for January are going to be Naked Gun 33 and a Third, mm-hmm. uh, Beverly Hills Cop 3, mm-hmm. The Getaway, The Chase, mm-hmm. and Wyatt Earp. Mm-hmm. So that's some, got some good fun stuff coming up in the month of January. So excited. I'm sure I know what Getaway is. What's that? Trying to remember what getaway is. The getaway. The getaway. I'm kind of blanking on it right now too. The getaway from '94. Because I, in my head, I'm like, the getaway. The chase. Nope. I'm thinking of the chase. Um, Alec Baldwin, Kim Basinger. Okay. Yep. Michael Madsen. I may not. Yeah, Michael Madsen's in it. James Woods. James Woods is in it. Yeah. I don't know that I've seen this. You seen that one? I'm liking what I'm seeing, though. It's got a lot of people. Jennifer Tilly. Yeah. Uh, we may Excellent. Have lo- we may have lost Bo. Yeah, I don't think I know this one. That's <laughs> okay. exciting. All right. Always good to throw one in there that you haven't seen before. Well, I, I don't know if this is happening for the rest of you. I, I know it's probably, you know, happens to Dennis more often. As we get to years where I was older and saw more movies... I there's very few that I haven't seen or heard of, or at least know something about. I feel like when we were in the eighties and I was still a tot, there were some I hadn't heard of and it didn't really surprise me. But now when you can surprise me completely, I, you know, it's nice. Well, and I'm, and I'm trying to also do that through some of our Patreon episodes by surprising you with movies where you just look at it and go, what the is John thinking (laughs) as our, as our group chat, revealed the other day your your find which by the way we'll have to figure out how to put that in a place where we can all watch it yeah yeah i have a i have a copy i have a digital copy of it oh beautiful so i'll, I'll be able to get that to you yeah hey, salad da- damselvis daughter of helvis i <laughs> i have viewed the movie oh okay you have screened it i i have screened it and and where does it rank between let's say Die Hard is the apex. Okay. <laughs> and the room is the basement. Oh, okay. <laughs> and what would you say is the bell of the bell curve, guys? Like, what is just meh? Oh, I, mean, I need a middle me? bell curve here. Alien 3. Oh, wait okay. a minute. I'm, I said that. No, I'm John. I'm kidding. John, I'm kidding. I feel your look, John. I'm kidding. Um, Pat, uh, Pat, your, Pat, your audio is cutting out. I can't... Uh... I can't hear out. Anyway, everybody, I just want to make a quick announcement. This will be Pat's last episode with us. <laughs> Pat, Pat thought he made, Pat thought he made a smart comment, but, no, one, th- but one thing Pat forgot is never go in against a podcast host when death is on the line. And <laughs> Pat. Yes, John. Pat, you, you thought you won with that comment, didn't you? I, I, I wouldn't even. Fancy that thought for a second. Just remember that sometimes when you win, even when you you win, you you lose. lose.
I feel like that's the tagline of the 30 something movie podcast. That might've been, yeah. that's become our subtitle. Yes. I would agree with that. Even when you win, you lose. Where do I rank damsel? Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, what, what are we getting into here? Let's just say, I, I think it would be hard to rank it compared to some of those other movies. Okay. Because it is, it is very much its own genre. I think you have to rank it within the little subculture of film that it comes from. So uh, Mm -hmm. there's a whole, and I don't know, Dennis, if if you've delved much into some of these before or not, but like there's a whole subculture of film that a lot, they get, it gets abbreviated SOV movies. So shot on video. And Mm -hmm. basically it's super like extreme low budget. Somebody's recording this on a camcorder. Um, and they've got their buddies together and maybe some like very, very amateur actors. Maybe they're not even actors, but they've gotten people together and they're filming this. And it is, it's just for them to, you know, try some stuff out, but they have absolutely no budget at all. It is for what it is within that subculture of film. It was entertaining. It was also very weird. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I may have, have enough to, of a budget to make the film, but just barely. I, I mean, they had enough of a budget to get the Jesus costume for the guy that plays Black Jesus. Well, that's what I'm saying. They somehow figured they got it done. Yeah. So they had enough money to get it done. That's true. But not a penny over. That's that's probably <laughs> and, also and true. And technically yes. it was distributed. That's the, genre. So, you know. that's the genre where there was literally everything was spent and they actually owed some money probably in the end. Yeah. Well, and, and I will say it's enough that there are companies and people out there that are, you know, producing the Blu-ray and DVD version of this to sell. So, no. you know, this is that one website I, I was talking about before, Vinegar Syndrome, and there's a few other ones too. Like you can buy the, you know, the, the Blu-ray high definition version. of I don't know how high definition it's going to be since it was shot on video, but, you know, there are people out there buying this as a, collectible thing and the the guy who directed this is known for some of his sov movies that he made so it's i think it'd be really hard to compare it because compared to even compared to the room for as crappy as that movie is and the sound is terrible especially in certain scenes i think it's really hard to compare because of course the room is going to look way more polished even for as bad as it is it's going to look way more polished than this than this is. So if you go into that watching this movie, the Damselvis Daughter of Helvis, if you go in watching that and you're like, man, this just this just looks terrible. Like I don't like I don't like the way it looks and it's distracting. If that's how you go into this, then obviously you're not going to like this movie. Um, mm-hmm. And and as I'm watching it, I'm like, all right, I'm watching this movie for what it is. Like I, I can't I can't watch this and go, well, this isn't like you know, the Princess Bride. Well, of course it's not the Princess Bride. But for what it is, yeah, it was a fun movie. And I'm imagining, like, you know, these guys getting together. I picture it as kind of like probably like very early student films of like Sam Raimi or something like that, where they've got a camcorder or a camera and they're out filming in the woods. And it's like the early, early predecessor of what would become Evil Dead, you know, that type of stuff. So that's my long-winded way of saying I don't know how to rank it. Fair. But it was interesting. And I'm excited to share it with you with you all and see what you think. And I'm excited for the text messages that will come as soon as you watch it. Because I'm really, really curious. I, in fact, I'm going to have a hard time waiting. It's on the schedule for August. 
of next year. So I have to sit and patiently wait for like nine months till, yeah. And uh, totally unrelated, technically, although 1990 for 1993 movies, maybe, maybe I missed it. We didn't do, we did not do a perfect world, did we? No. Have you ever seen that, any of you? Because Bo was talking about movies. Bo, Bo have you seen it? Yeah. With Clint and um, yeah. Austin? Okay, right. That was, it was really good. I, yeah. I kind of forgot about it. I would say, it, but yeah, anybody out there like, yeah, I mean, it was 99, 1993 movies wrap up. We should have an episode of like sleeper ones that we didn't get to. That would have been a good, I just saw it popped up on something. I was looking at like, Oh my God, 93 too. Dang. Oh it. yeah. No, we didn't end up doing that one. Have you seen it, John? You haven't seen it? No, I have not. Mm-mm. And uh, Pat, have you seen it? I have not. Seven <laughs> Costner in it. And it's okay. very good. Laura Dern. Yep. Ah. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's a hold, hold on a moment. Okay. We can move on. All right. So yes, uh, that is what we got coming up. Um, with the rest of this year, the beginning of next year, and some really weird stuff that we're going to be doing later on in next year, but fun stuff. You know, between that and uh, Tammy and the T-Rex, I'm kind of excited for the weird, obscure stuff. Because, you know, if you have an animatronic T-Rex for two weeks, what else are you going to do? You're going to make a movie. Nothing. Yeah. So, all right. Well, I think it's time for us to find out what's eating Gilbert Grape. Uh, so this one came out December 17th, 1993, rated PG-13. It was one hour and 58 minutes. Directed by Lasse Hallstrom, who did The Cider House Rules and Chocolat. Writer was Peter Hedges. He did About a Boy and Dan in Real Life. Producers were Bertil Olson, David Matalon, and Mir Tepper. Olson did My Life as a Dog. Matalon did The War at Home. Tepper did The Gun in Betty Lou's Handbag. Composer was Alan Parker, did Angela's Ashes and the Life of David Gale. Cinematographer was Sven Nyquist, did Sleepless in Seattle and Crimes and Misdemeanors. And the editor was Andrew Monshine, or Monshine, who did Witness and Chocolat. Production company was Paramount. Budget was $11 million. Box office, according to this, was $10 million, so it did not necessarily do well in the box office. Trix gives it a 75, and there was not a cinema score for this one. Johnny Depp plays Gilbert Grape. He was in Edward Scissorhands' Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl. Leonardo DiCaprio was Arnie Grape. He was in Titanic and Inception. Juliette Lewis played Becky. She was in Natural Born Killers and Cape Fear. Mary Steenburgen played Betty Carver. She was in Back to the Future Part 3 and Step Brothers. Darlene Cates played Bonnie Grape. Uh, She was in the TV series Touched by an Angel. Laura Harrington played Amy Grape. She was in The Fisher King and Maximum Overdrive. Mary-Kate Shellhart played Ellen Grape. She was in Apollo 13 and Free Willy 2, The Adventure Home. Kevin Tye played Ken Carver. He was in Roadhouse and Another 48 Hours. John C. Riley played Tucker Van Dyne. He was in Step Brothers and Chicago. Crispin Glover played Bobby McBurney. He was in Back to the Future and Alice in Wonderland. Penelope Branning played Becky's grandma. She was in Chocolat and Four Weddings and a Funeral. And Tim Green played Mr. Lamson. He was in The Fugitive and Richie Rich. Some quick trivia stuff for you here. Darlene Cates, who played the mom in this one, this was, she had never acted before. This was her first acting job, and the screenwriter, Peter Hedges, saw her in a talk show 
discussing her experience of being housebound due to obesity and thought this is exactly the person that I need for this movie. So went ahead and cast her based on that. The scene where Leonardo DiCaprio's character inadvertently kills a grasshopper is actually something that happened on set. He was unaware of the animal rights protocols on set and killed a grasshopper accidentally, and the take where he does that is the one that was used in the film. Hmm. Leonardo DiCaprio had to choose between two different movies. His choices were to either star in this movie or to star in another little movie called Hocus Pocus. So he was the he was the lead male role in Hocus Pocus. He was being considered for that. So obviously, I think this one helped his career a little bit more. Johnny Depp admitted to being irritated by Leonardo DiCaprio during the filming of this movie because DiCaprio at this point is maybe what eighteen, nineteen years old, and apparently just spent the entire time talking about video games, and it really annoyed Johnny Depp. However, he he did mention that he did respect his dedication to the work and to the, his role in the film. DiCaprio said that he did spend a lot of time researching for this role, spent time with mentally disabled teenagers, observing kind of their mannerisms and kind of gaining some insight into their experiences and their lives. Johnny Depp really enjoyed working with Darlene Cates, who played Mama in this one, and he said that he felt compelled to apologize to her after any scenes where he had to say something mean to her character. And that, in terms of the trivia, is pretty much it. I do want to, I'll mention it now, but I want to come back to it when we talk about our, our deeper thoughts part of this. Watching this movie reminded me of, and I didn't have a chance to go back and listen to it, but it reminded me of when we did our episode on the Dream Team. And mm-hmm. we, we had a conversation about, okay, where where do you draw the line of portraying someone who is mentally disabled in some way or alternately abled or, or something like that. And in that movie, there was a little bit of a different twist because it was a comedy movie and some mm-hmm. of it was played for laughs. Whereas in this movie, it's not played for laughs. However, I think in 2023 sensibilities, I think somebody would say, well, then why wouldn't you get, why wouldn't you get someone who is, somewhere on the autism spectrum to play that character in the movie, as opposed to Leonardo DiCaprio, who is not. I think Mm -hmm. that's how that would be argued today. I want to touch on that a little bit when we get to our deeper thoughts part of it, but I wanted to mention it. Oh, so don't discuss that now? Not now. We'll we'll do it when we get to the deeper thoughts part. But All right, synopsis for this one. In a world where reality bites, Johnny Depp, Leonardo DiCaprio, Juliette Lewis, and Mary Steenburgen bring to life the poignant tale of what's eating Gilbert Grape. In the sleepy town of Endora, Gilbert Grape navigates the challenges of family duty and personal dreams while caring for his brother Arnie. This heartwarming story of love, responsibility, and liberation will captivate your heart and awaken your spirit. Endora, it's a town where nothing much ever happens. This is where I live with my family. <laughs> Doctor said we'd be lucky if Arnie lived to be 10. I could go at any time. Arnie, don't be rude. Some days you want him to live. I kill him, Gilbert. I know, buddy. Okay, son, come down now. Bye! Some days you don't. When is this gonna stop? And then there's Mama. That's my mom in there. You see, with Mama, there's no nice way to break it to you. She's not all that big, Gilbert. I saw a guy at the state fair who was a little bit bigger. I haven't always been like this. 
I haven't always been like this. Gilbert, I'll need a delivery later. If nothing ever happens here. It's those lobsters, isn't it? Why does it always happen to me? I just want to stick her head in the oven and turn on the gas. <laughs> I got nowhere to go. Gilbert, please don't disappear. We're taking him in. We've warned you. We've warned your sister. They say there's a reason for everything. My oh. son! Give me my son! Maybe someday I'll figure out what it is. Oh, look, to Frank Manis. You know how they mate? The male will sneak up on the female, and she'll bite off his head, and the rest of his body will keep on mating. And then when they're done, she'll eat him. All right. Major moments for this one. We break down the plot into ten major moments to kind of give you a quick flyby of the plot of the movie if you haven't seen it or if you haven't seen it in a while. We always recommend that you go back and watch the movie first. Uh, pause this, go back and watch it. But if you're unable to or if you just feel like you don't need to, um, this will give you kind of a, a quick recap. So starting off, on the forest moon of Endora, Iowa, uh, Gilbert Grape is burdened with caring for his mentally disabled brother Arnie, his obese mother Bonnie, while working at a small grocery store. Uh, Becky and her grandmother arrive in town when their vehicle breaks down, uh, sparking a potential romance with Gilbert. Gilbert leaves Arnie alone in a bath to spend time with Becky, only to find him still in the cold water the next morning, that he did not get him out, and he just kind of stayed there. And so that kind of led to some tension within the family and Arnie developing a little bit of aquaphobia. Gilbert had been having an affair with Betty Carver, who was the... Mother of, what, she have two boys? I think she had two boys, and her husband worked in town, and he would, Gilbert would make deliveries of groceries to her house, and that was, you know, the delivery did not stop there. So he was having an affair with her, and this actually comes to an end. I mean, there's some tension there because as he starts to fall for Becky, Betty Carver, the mother, of, you know, the mother in this other family, she starts to see that and she gets frustrated because she really wants Gilbert to just be with her. She's she's frustrated with her husband. She's frustrated with her life. And she just wants to have the affair with this, you know, young guy, this 20 something, whatever he is guy, but does not like the fact that this, you know, new girl closer to his age has come into town and, and has kind of taken over that. So the affair ends pretty abruptly when her husband dies under some mysterious circumstances and she ends up leaving town. Arnie is prone to climbing the town's water tower, and he does this several times in the movie, but at this point, he does climb the water tower, and the police have had enough. They've warned several times. They say, you know what? Forget it. We've, we've told you many, many times. Can't do this. So it ends up leading to his arrest, and for the first time, their mother, Bonnie, leaves the house. I believe it's been seven years since she had left the house. She leaves the house and gets herself down to the police station to demand that her son be released. Arnie inadvertently ruins a couple of birthday cakes. That's kind of one of the, the overarching parts of this story is that it's leading up to his, was it his 18th birthday? Yep. His 18th birthday, yeah. Because at the end of the movie, they, they say he was about to turn 19. And so they're kind of leading up to that. It's supposed to be this big special thing because they weren't expecting him to live past 
I feel like it was something like, you know, eight or nine years old. So the fact that he's made it to 18 is, is an accomplishment. And the, you know, the mother, Bonnie, wants to have this big party. And so they're planning for all of this. You know, one of the sisters is trying to make the cakes for this. And there is when Arnie is running around the house, you know, being chased around the house by Gilbert. He ruins two of the birthday cakes, you know, one that had been bought from a grocery store, one from his sister. I think that's when he kind of runs into her and, and knocks the cake over and ruins it. Overwhelmed with frustration, Gilbert actually hits Arnie and then feels immediately guilty about that. And so he actually runs away, leaving Arnie with Becky, who, as that kind of takes place, she helps him overcome his fear of the water. We get a little bit of a scene later on where she gets him to, you know, to jump into the the river or lake with her. And, and she's just being very kind and very encouraging to him and, and helps him get over that. Uh, Gilbert comes back during Arnie's 18th birthday party, reconciles with his family, reconciles with um, Arnie and apologizes to him for what he did and introduces Becky to his mother. Um, after the party, Bonnie climbs the stairs to her bedroom for the first time in a long time uh, and actually ends up dying in her sleep. And then to avoid a public spectacle, the family decides that they are just going to burn the house down with her body inside uh, because basically the house is... There's a lot of issues with the house anyway, and it, it will allow them to, it'll force them to move on with their lives and go and do or live somewhere else. So to avoid embarrassment for their mother, because they know that she was embarrassed when she went out in public at that one point earlier, she didn't like people staring at her, making comments about her, and so they decide that this is the best way to handle this situation, because even the police are making comments like, you know, we're going to need a crane to get her out of this house, so they decide that, you know what, we're just going to we're going to pour some gasoline in the house. We're going to light it on fire, and we're going to move on with our lives. The movie does end. It's about a year later with Amy and Ellen moving on with their lives. The sisters, Gilbert with Arnie, waits for the tourist trailers to show up. And when they do, Becky arrives and picks them up, indicating that they are about to start a new chapter in their lives. All right. Those are the top ten major moments. We're going to go ahead and jump on into our deep thoughts. And now... Deep thoughts. I have an opinion on this matter. Don't mince words, Bones. What do you really think? I like it a lot. Wow. It's, it's very deep. Thank you. All right. So, first couple of questions here. Do you like this movie? And when was the first time you remember seeing it? Well, I'll jump right in and say I've probably seen bits and pieces of it before this time. I this is this was the first cover to cover viewing for me. Okay. <clears throat> What'd you think? And I you know, I, I don't know what I thought. I mean, it was I think it was a well told story. I think it was well acted. I mean, there were moments of humor and drama and all points in between. I can't say that it was a feel-good movie, but I can't say that it was, oh man, I felt awful at the end of it. I, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of, I, I don't necessarily have a, have a strong feeling either any which way. I don't know that I'll watch it again. Not that for any other reason than I, I yeah, I, I don't know that I have a specific reason, but yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of left in a quandary. So just not sure how to feel about it. Not sure how to feel. I mean, but when I take each scene, I mean, if we broke down each scene, I could probably tell you how I was feeling at that point. But then like the whole movie, I'm kind of left with, huh, okay. Interesting. I, 
I'm kind of curious to see where the discussion leads us tonight. I'm not sure what to believe. <laughs> Dennis, what yes. about you? I vote. I vote Jago's next. Oh, okay. I can go next. Because uh, you I'm, don't always go. You know, you don't always go. You you always go last. That's true. Sometimes it's nice to hear yeah. what you think first. All right, that's true. Yeah, so I've probably seen this one. This might have been my third time seeing this one. I I saw this one. My sister, when she was younger, was a huge Leonardo DiCaprio fan. That is pretty much all thanks to Romeo and Juliet, mm-hmm. Basketball Diaries. I mean, pick pick anything from the '90s that had Leo in it. <coughs> Uh, Titanic, any of that. And it was guaranteed that in our house we were probably going to watch every movie that he'd ever made. And so this one I remember watching probably late, late-ish 90s for the first time. And then probably once more a few years ago, I maybe like 10, 15 years ago maybe. And then maybe just because I came across it on Netflix or, or Hulu or one of those and was just looking for something to put on. I was like, oh, I remember that movie. Let me let me put that on. And then, obviously, for for this last week, watching it again. And, yeah, I, I enjoy this movie. It is, I think, in, in a certain way, it is a bit of a feel-good movie. Like, I'm not I'm not disagreeing with your take on it, Pat, that, that you didn't feel like it was a feel-good movie because that was, I mean, obviously, that's your opinion on it and that's that's your take on it. Yeah, and and well, I, and I'm sorry I'm interrupting, but I yeah. I just want to clarify. I I don't know. I mean, there were parts that I felt good. I I don't know if I have a sum total feeling. So yeah. Yeah. feel free to disagree, agree, or or whatever. I'm I'm really curious to hear what you think. Yeah. So no. So I I mean I th- in watching this movie, I think my take on it is, um, I really enjoyed. I enjoy it for the performances. Um, I know we're going to talk in just a minute about Leonardo DiCaprio's performance, because if you read just about anywhere online, people are going, he should get more praise for this movie because it's one of his best, if not his best performance. I've read that in several different places, but then balancing that with, you know, and again, we'll talk about it in just a minute, balancing that with, if you have a character that is, and I'm, I'm going to use the wrong terminology, but a character who is disabled in some way or alternately abled in some way, that there's the argument that because of the need for representation that you should have an actor who shares that same same ability should be playing that part. And I actually did, I wanted to look up something, and so I did look it up real quick, and it was, and, and this will kind of help with our discussion here in just a little bit, According to, I think this was from the Harvard Political Review, that one in four American adults has a disability of some kind, yet they are the least represented in the performing arts field. 95% of disabled characters are played by able-bodied actors. So that's a huge difference, you know, in terms of who's playing those roles. So we'll, we'll talk about that in just a minute. But um, 95% of what? Uh, 95, so this is from 2020. 95% of disabled characters are played by able-bodied actors. And how many disabled actors are there? I don't have that number, but the number they gave in this article was one in four American adults has a disability of some kind. Yeah, and I, and I guess, I guess, yeah, so that's where I would come back to is, again. How many actors are available from a, many pool, actors? a pool to choose from? Yeah, You have a pool that you can choose from. Now, if you have a bunch of disabled actors going for a disabled job and they can actually act, and they don't get it. I don't know if that would necessarily. I don't. I don't know if there's evidence for that. Well, um, I just well, think, and I, you know, and and, I and again, you have can... less actors who are disabled, right? Just because of the, just like you would have less 
I don't know, but you know, like other, like just there's other, other jobs, things where it yeah. just maybe doesn't, maybe they just don't migrate to that, that right. field. I don't well, know. And, and, and yeah, we'll, we'll get into that here in just a minute, yeah. but to that point too, I think I'm not also sure. And, and I obviously can't speak for, for the people that, you know, working in Hollywood, but I'm not sure how hard in 1993, the producers and studios would have been looking for representation like that. I feel like a lot of the time they're going to pick the actor who is the amazing actor that can do a really good job of portraying that part, and yeah. and you're going to get like a Dustin Hoffman, or foot, a, you know, yeah. So I, I say all that to say I have seen this movie a few times, and I do enjoy this movie. Watching it this time, I that was in the back of my mind was you know Leonardo DiCaprio. It's amazing performance, especially from such a young actor. But in the back of my mind, I am sitting there going. If, if made today, you know, I think for the sake of representation and inclusion and all those things, that I think it would be, you know, it would be a better option to see if there is an actor that would be able to play that part. But, yeah, I mean, that's that was just kind of in the back so, of my mind. That didn't, that didn't color my viewing of it. It didn't, yeah. I'm just going to jump in really quick on that because I thought the same thing this time. For a, I mean, when I say I wasn't spending the whole movie thinking, but, but I thought about it at one point. And then here was my thought. So if you needed a character to play exactly what Leonardo DiCaprio played, mm-hmm. I mean, to be fair and honest, imagine how difficult that would be on set for that person to understand that you're, you know, the, the whole storyline, the movie, the acting that the director wants. It would be very, very difficult because literally what they were dealing with was somebody who was um, both obviously loved and important to the family and also almost like he says in the thing, like, like, like it was, it's difficult. It's a drain mentally. It's constant 24 care. If you're not looking, he's off on the, on the climb in the tower. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't like, if you had an actor who could actually play that role, like, like that, who, who fit that role, like who had that same disability, I think they would be very difficult to manage during the filming of a movie. Does that make sense? Like as a director, how do you, you know, it's, it's different than a physical disability. I think the mental disability in this case, especially being somebody who's, you know, has the, that, that, that form of disability, that would be really difficult. I think to have that actor play that role. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Almost, you're almost incapable. Like you would be, or you would be that person, but you need somebody to understand the storyline and where this is going in order to really pull the, 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 the role off. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, it, it I, may feel, be, I feel his performance. Yeah, I, I I thought he should want Academy Award, and I think that like I remember thinking it back then. But I think you know if Rain Man didn't win, if it then he, I think he would have won one. I think the fact that you know how many years later, eighty six, eighty eight, whatever it was with Rain Man, yeah, and Dustin Hoffman getting it, I felt like they almost felt like, well, we can't give it to him again for. I I don't know, or maybe things are already changing about the mindset of that. Like maybe that question was coming to mind yeah. about like playing disabled, but. That's what the character called for, and you need somebody to play it. And he does it so well. Like, yeah. that scene with Mama, oh, my God. Like, that that sews up to me the Academy Award right there. Mm-hmm. Like, the way he's just like, wait, come on, come on. The way he's doing that, the hard, kind of heartbreaking scene. And then the, when he stops and you could see him sort of processing this as, a, as somebody with, a, obviously, a disability. But, like, he does kind of understand death a bit, but he doesn't fully understand death that because like when he refers to his dad and even the grasshopper scene and all that stuff, but it's like, now he's realized she died. And then I just, it's like that scene where he's up in the bedroom with her and discovering her mm-hmm. that she's dead. It's just the mannerisms, the eyes, everything he does is 
fun. The, the rubbing of the nose, like, I mean, it's like, I think he disappeared. I think that is why, to me, that's one of his best roles, if not his best. Yeah. He did, and I, I do want to, I do want to, you know, Dennis, get to, like, when the first time you saw this was and, and all that, but I did want to point out real quick, that year, he did lose the Best Actor in a Supporting Role Oscar Award to Tommy Lee Jones for The Fugitive. So it was interesting. The people that he was up against, and, and that's the part of the amazing part is, here's Leonardo DiCaprio, who's, what did we say, 19 years old during this, and who he's up against. I mean, just this list of who he's up against in the 1994 Oscars in the category of Best Actor in a Supporting Role. It's Leonardo DiCaprio for What's Eating Gilbert Grape. It's uh, Ralph Fiennes for Schindler's List. It's Pete Postlethwaite for In the Name of the Father. It's John Malkovich for In the Line of Fire. And it's Tommy Lee Jones for The Fugitive. So that's the 19-year-old is up against the rest of these guys. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so Dennis, when was the first time you saw this one? Saw it in 93 on VHS, not at the theater, with my family. And I remember liking it. And I knew the storyline. And I still remember the storyline. And I think I saw bits and pieces between now and then. And I kept going, you know, I'm going to have to watch that whole thing again. And then, so finally the podcast was reason to do that again. And I didn't get to see it before. And so I was like, I want to make sure I got to see it again. And and yeah, I I think I really, I mean, I I appreciate the film in the sense of like, it's, it's not... It's not meant to be a Marvel or a blockbuster or anything like that. So you're not supposed to walk away. It's it's kind of I wouldn't say artsy film, but it's just a it's just a film, and and I think there's a lot that I think maybe I couldn't process why I maybe understood it at the time. I think I felt for for Gilbert's grape for Gilbert Grape's character and this the feeling of being stuck sometimes because I was now twenty twenty two. 22, you know, and, and, and I'm sure it came up on the podcast maybe before, but I had brothers that were, you know, disabled, three brothers of muscular dystrophy and in wheelchairs. And it wasn't a mental thing. And this is very, you know, that part of it's very different, but there was a sense of responsibility. That sense of responsibility sort of sometimes felt like it's prevented me from doing things that I might've done or that I wanted to do because of an obligation to stay at home and help family. And it's not something you necessarily regret, but it's still something that I think you experience because part of you is drawn to being able to go out and do exactly what you just, boom, go out and explore. There's that part of you. And then there's the other part of you that would feel guilty doing that, not be able to fully enjoy it because you know there's a certain sense of responsibility at home. So for me, that I think maybe that's subconscious why I enjoyed it back then. And then seeing it now, I see a lot more of those scenes in the buildup of things and the way they shot certain things and even the cake scene. And, and, and you knew at some point it was coming to where he was probably going to hit him, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I wasn't surprised, but even in some weird way, I wasn't surprised like the cake on the floor, the girls make it, they were all getting, there's just a very, and basically there's three people with no adult in their life. The one, one has died. The other one is pretty much stationary and the kids are doing everything to kind of hold everything together and raise a disabled kid, which would be hard enough for an adult set of parents, let alone brothers and sisters who are also trying to figure out their own life. So I I just, I think it tackles those issues so well and the filming and the pacing, the relationships and everything amongst the brothers and sisters. I remember having a crush on the older sister 
for some reason, like a lot of people would think, oh, you know, I love Mary Steamer, but in this role, she's not, she's not, it's, just, it's a turnoff because she's this kind of Lulu, but, uh, but like the older sister, there's a certain sense of like trying to do the right thing. And just, I always thought, you know, I was, she was attractive and I was like, I just like that person. She's just a good person. The younger sister was a little bit bratty at times, but still good. But and I think it was just, it was just a good, I don't know, like it, it's just a nice film to watch. And I think there is feel good at the ending, like you said, because what happens? You know, things take its natural course. There's a sense of freedom at the end and happiness and moving on. And I think the story has that theme throughout it with not only the supermarket, you know, the mom and pop store versus the big, you know, the big burger place coming in and, you know, all like all these like holding on to things, moving on, being stuck, trying new things, breaking free, even him with the relationship, even though it was dysfunctional and he really wasn't, he was sort of kind of in a way abused, it seems like by the by the the wife the the wife of the the guy you know the one he was cheating with mm-hmm. and he almost couldn't have the relationship with somebody he should be having a relationship with mm-hmm. it's like he couldn't let himself do it almost he struggled with that at first so yeah it just there was a lot of i don't know i'm reading too much in, but yeah yeah he's playing that bingo chart yeah <laughs> and 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 we can agree to disagree on mary steenbergen so that's okay she's i loved her like is it but i remember in this movie i was thinking like she oh Right now, you're, why, are, why are you not as attractive to me right now? I mean, you kind of are in the beginning, but then you were kind of like, ugh, <laughs> a little just creepy for me. Fair enough. But what about you? When was the first time you saw this one? Sort of like Pat. I think the first time I'd seen it all the way through, excuse me, was for the podcast this past weekend. I knew the story, so I'd seen some of it before, but I don't think I'd seen the whole thing. It's... Sort of like Pat, there were times when I didn't know how to feel about it. It's definitely not a movie that I would gravitate towards on my own. Mm-hmm. It's not really, uh, I, I guess, the short, simple way to put it is it's not. is I'm not the audience for this movie. Okay. You know? But it was a good film, and it told a great story. And, and as we've discussed, the actors are amazing. So I am not taking anything away from the movie. That's where I'm at with that. Okay. I'm going to ask just a, a quick clarifying question. If you're not the target audience for this movie, who is the target audience for this movie, do you think? That's interesting. More enlightened people? <laughs> All right, well, that's, that um, discounts the rest of us. <laughs> I just, I don't know. It just, it, it's not the type of, and maybe the intended audience is the wrong way to say it, but it's not the type of movie that I would see the trailer and go, oh, cool, I want to see that. Mm-hmm. Like, it would be the type of movie... My wife might say, oh, I want to see, and I might go see it with her. Mm-hmm. But it's just not the type of movie that sparks my interest. Okay. Which is one of the things I love about doing this podcast is I have seen movies that I would never have seen. Yeah. Otherwise. Not for any other reason other than here we are. You know, this is but, this is what we're doing. And I guess, and I, and I'm, and it. I remember talking to Jason, one of our, you know, Jason uh, K, our friend, and he was saying things about Terrence Malick's style of film and, and those type of films where it was too, almost too artsy for him, he thought. Mm-hmm. And some people just don't like that, where certain things like that, I think if you're somebody who may, I don't know, because you're, you're, you like film, so it's not that. It's, yeah, yeah, it's a hard thing to pinpoint, like why you, you know, why you wouldn't like it so much or be drawn to it or consider yourself the audience or me or John might. Well, I, think- I think it's because maybe 
some people migrate to like really clear, like when I say clear plots, like boom, boom, boom. And this mm -hmm. is, it's like you're dropping into the day or the, the summer or the season of someone's life and you're dropping. Right. Right. So there's not a big, huge plot thing that's happening here. It's just kind of moseying along and you're just basically eavesdropping on these people's lives mm -hmm. and experiencing things through. And I think for, again, if maybe because of me having a little bit of a connection to some of that feeling, it may, it may maybe clicked with me more where it doesn't click with you as much. It's just, there's nothing. It's not a, it's not a bad thing or a good thing. It's just a thing. I don't know if that makes sense. I think it's, I, I think Dennis, you, well, through your discussion with Bo and, and I think that what it seems like to me in listening, I don't know that it's a structural thing that in the movie that necessarily would make it people, the audience or not the audience for this particular film. Like in by structural, I mean, well, they're using such and such camera angles or they're using this kind of a plot technique or they're, I don't necessarily think it's that or a directorial style. I almost think that it's, it's, it's just like a personal connection. And again, I'm everything I'm saying, I'm very, I'm trying to be very careful and not give it a value judgment in terms of, well, movie, good movie, bad. But I, I just think that it's, it's almost like you mentioned a personal connection. And you said that, you know, some of your relationships with your, uh, your brothers and, and that it kind of helped you get a little bit more into the vein of what the film was trying to portray. So I think that that's a personal thing for you that I didn't have that in my life. So I might not have that connection to the film. Now that's not a structural thing. That's not, a, I mean, I can sit there and I agree with you. I mean, Leonardo DiCaprio's performance was incredible. Johnny Depp's performance was incredible. I mean, the gal that wasn't an actress that played the mom. I mean, that scene when she goes into the police office and demands her son, like I, I realized I wasn't breathing. I, I didn't breathe. I held my breath for that entire scene. I don't know how many times I hold my breath during a movie. And that was, so, I mean, I think we're all recognizing those things, but to your point, I, I think it's just, it's a very personal thing. Like who the audience for this movie was John, you mentioned that like, you know, how much money it made at the box office. And again, I, I don't, I think I said a couple of weeks ago, I don't know how accurate an indicator that is, especially for movies like this, but I think that's what was happening is that, or no, I, I don't want to say, I think that's what was happening. I could imagine that's what's happening where people were going to see it. And it might be of four people that go see the movie to have a connection with it and have an emotional response that says, wow, I really enjoyed this. I want to see this again. And there might be two people sitting in, there in the group that say, I don't know, this didn't really this didn't really, you know, it, it was a really well done movie, but I don't know if I would have sought it out. Do you know what I'm, do you know where I'm going with that? I yeah. think it's just, especially when you're dealing with movies like this that have a huge Im emotional component to them. I think it's just a very personal thing, how people respond to it. And again, not as a value judgment, good or bad, but just as a, cause I, I think the movie was very good but just how we respond to it. And I, and I think like the overall theme of it, I guess that's why in some ways it, I wouldn't say it surprises me because I get like how that can happen. I just mm -hmm. think that the theme is pretty clear of just this people stuck in a rut. Mm -hmm. Things have happened in their lives. They're all trying to deal with it as best they can. And there, there's this stuck in a rut feeling of no movement forward. And mm -hmm. 
things start to happen and they're just, and basically, are you going to take advantage of that at some point? And like, what, what's holding them back? You know, like her, she says, I used to not always be like this. She used to be the prettiest one. It was after the death of her, her husband, you know, like how Johnny didn't want to go in the basement. I mean, there's a lot of things of people being stuck. And then I think then there's that, hopefully that kind of feeling of freedom or like liberation at the end. And this, these, even the people coming through, I mean, he's, they're fascinated with the caravan, you know, at least the, like Leonardo's character is just because it's something new and exciting coming through, you know, like there's not, there's just a kind of a certain, like that small town stuck in that town sort of theme. And how do you get out of that? I think that I would think that people in their lives maybe have felt stuck at certain times. I would think regardless whether you have a disabled brother or not, but and being stuck in something and, and, and seeking that, that, that liberation mm-hmm. and the courage to maybe take a chance and not know what's out there, but take that chance anyway. And I think that's a cool theme. So I just identify with that theme more. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was my, I mean, and there's well, a certain, war, there's a certain warmth to the whole story. None of the characters are, you don't hate anybody really in this story. Mm-hmm. Like who do you hate in this story? There's nobody. I can't think of anybody. I, hate. I mean, even the kids in the neighborhood, they're, you know, you might be like, Oh, look at, they're going to, you know, try to see and peek through the window at the, but it's, you know, the guy taking a picture just sort of as that thing of nobody has anything too exciting going on in their lives. That somebody else's kind of misery at this point or something that they're dealing with and struggling with is, is interesting. You know, I mean, and then the guy who's the store owner wondering why the big, you know, like the kid when he sees Johnny Depp walk out with a cake and he's just looking, you know, and, and the guy like, why was he driving through the parking lot? He's staring at this big store because is that the threat to his being stuck mm-hmm. in the past with the mom and pop store? And and it, it just there's a lot of like little subtle things that I, I think I appreciated this time around that I'm sure I didn't appreciate when I was 21. I, I, I like that point you brought up with the store because that was my thought was when Johnny Depp comes walking out, he's just trying to get the stinking cake. I get a cake. Just like, I'm just, I just need a cake. I, yeah, I just need a cake. Good, yeah. but, then, yeah. but then your point was well taken. It was like, why was that guy driving through? The, why was that guy driving through the thing? Right. And then it's kind of funny because I take the long view is, is, is it's, it's like, well, okay. The big supermarket came in, but man, if that guy just would have held on with the small store for like, 20 more years, he probably could have thrown in like a craft beer section, gone all sorts. And then probably the big supermarket would have been going under because people want to go to that hometown niche kind of, you know what I'm saying? Which obviously that was not within the purview of the movie, but that was kind of in the back of my mind is when the whole small town thing started to happen back again. And, And people don't want to go to the big chain. They want to go to something, you know, they want to go to something unique. I just said something bespoke perhaps. Um, <laughs> I mean, there were a couple of things, there were a couple of things about this that I, knowing that the director was, uh, was Swedish and I didn't, I don't think I mentioned this. Um, he was known for directing most of ABBA's music videos. That's kind of where he got <laughs> his start. And then he had in 85, he had a movie, my life as a dog, I think is what the title was. And that was kind of his first big one. And then he started to get more after that. And that's where I, I did list off some of the ones that he did shock a lot. And I'm right now I'm blanking on what the other one was cider house rules. I remember yeah. seeing that one, but I think some of the things that I thought were kind of interesting about this one too, is if you've watched and I can't, I can't claim to have watched a ton of Swedish movies, but if you've watched Swedish film at all, I mean, I've, I've seen some of Ingmar Bergman's movies, 
there is a lot here that you kind of get from the the Swedish style of things, even though at this point I think he had mostly, I don't want to say abandoned his European style for a more American style, but a lot of what you're getting in this movie is very much in line with what you see in Swedish films. Like, there, it's very much... Um, tied to realism it's you know sometimes the aesthetics the color palette the everything is fairly minimalist it's not you know it's not flashy it's not fancy it's everyday life kind of stuff and if you bring in you know probably the most famous swedish filmmaker ingmar bergman a lot of his movies deal with the idea of this just kind of complex character relationships existential dread and i feel like that's what johnny depp's character is going through in most of this movie is I I gotta get out of this place if it's the last thing I ever do. Um, but I don't want to go. But I don't want to go. Right, this is my home. I I have obligations here. It might be scary to go, but I'm I'm just wasting away here. So yeah, I mean, I thought that, that part too. Kind of knowing a little bit about you know Swedish movies and knowing that this was a Swedish director was sad to see that there were no ABBA songs in this movie. But yeah, just I think that was one of the things too is that it's not. I think one of you said, I forget who it was, it's, it's not a big flashy movie. You know, it's not a blockbuster movie. And I think I told Pat this when we were leaving the movie today, so pulling back the curtain a little bit. Pat and Dennis and I went to go see a movie today. We saw The Holdovers. And I told Pat as we were leaving, Dennis, you had already gotten to your car, but I told Pat, I said, seeing that movie today made me rethink my philosophy of hey, movies are really expensive to go see in the theater, so therefore I'm only going to go see movies in the theater that are big and flashy and, you know, visual spectacles and whatnot. And I told Pat, leaving the movie, leaving this movie today, I was like, I just want to quit my job and go write screenplays. Yep. Like that, that's, you know, and, and had I watched yep. this movie at home, I don't know that I would have had the same reaction to that you know i've had i've had that same reaction for a couple of different things and i told pat my two examples one was i saw v for vendetta in imax when it came out and i left that movie going man i just want to quit my job and blow stuff up and leaving this one today it was i just want to quit my job and go write screenplays um and so and then i think of a movie like this like i watched this movie on Let's see. I watch this movie mostly on my phone, a little bit on a little bit on my computer screen, but mostly on my phone. And I'm watching it on a really small little screen. And part of me is is thinking, okay, the necessity of when we record this podcast and how much time we've got to watch the movies and where we can watch them and everything else, we, we can't watch all these on a big screen necessarily. So I'm wondering sometimes too, like, does that color my enjoyment of a movie or, or color my take on a movie because I'm not watching it the way it was intended. Even though this is a a very unassuming, I think, movie that is really focused in on the the character development, the people, you know, character driven plot in this. I'm wondering sometimes if if I'm not giving it its due by watching it on a bigger screen and experiencing it in a, in a way where I let the rest of the world just fall away. Like if I watch this in a room either by myself or with just a couple of other people who are focused in on the movie, not on their phones or stopping to go to the bathroom every 30 minutes or things like that. Not that that happens, but I think a movie like this, I I wish I could see a movie like this on a big screen in a theater because then I think that would, even though I really do enjoy this, 
I think I'm, I'm changing my mind on, yeah, I'm only going to give my money to movies in the theater that are big and flashy and spectacles, whereas this movie reminds me a lot of the movie we watched today. Just in that sense of it's character-driven, it's fairly unassuming, it's not big and flashy, it's, it's just, it's, what's, and I'm going to blank out on where that comes from, it's people living lives of quiet desperation. And, and I think that the big theater experience gives you time to sit with it. Yeah. Give you time to process it as it's happening. Yeah. And that every intended long shot doesn't get lost, like you said, with the distraction of going to the bathroom or grabbing your popcorn or telling somebody in the other room, answering a question that somebody's asking you, whatever it might be. Or somebody it's, falling asleep next to you. Like, again, I'll go back to the death scene with, with the mom. What I love about it, and this is like what Seabiscuit does this, and the guy explained this, it always makes me think of long shot, wide shot, and how people approach tragedy, is what happens. You have the moment with, with, with you know, Leo's character um, discovering it, and then it cuts, and then all you do is you have a wide shot, a wide shot of the house, and you see him from a long distance come out, and you see his sister is working, I think, down in the yard, and the sister goes over to find out what's going on. And then they all kind of gather there and you know what's going on, but you're not in their face. You're not seeing him. Oh my God, mom is dead. They're, 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 like you don't, you just know everything that's going on. You can't even hear really the dialogue. And it just lets you sit with that moment. And then all of a sudden, what does it do? It cuts to the scene where they're all just gathered around her in the bedroom and it's quiet. Mm -hmm. yeah. so you never got to see a moment where they all learned of her death in the sense of like, what? Wait, mom is dead? Oh no. You know, there was none of that. It was, there was a certain privacy to their grief, but you're in on it from a distance. And I think that would be accentuated in the, in a theater, you know, that wide shots there for the big screen. You're, you're far away, but you're just as connected, but you're giving them their privacy and their moment of grief of grief. And I just think those choices are, and then the phonetic pace where he does build to hit him. If you check at the shots, now they're the opposite. Instead of one long, slow shot with from a distance, you're getting close-ups. He comes in, she's the cake's messed up. It's like it just builds, 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 and everybody's frustration with this one innocent character who's been a source of so much stress and so much of this buildup and so much of the feeling stuck for them ends up, you know, pushing him to the point where he hits him, and then he feels horrible. And then there's that, you know, it's just there's just there's a certain pacing that was in the film too that I, like I said, and, and you can watch him. We can all pitch in and buy the Libertyville uh, theater. And then I see, I mean, we've talked about that before and I, I really think that's not a bad idea. And we could see all these movies on the big I, screen. I say we do that. We, we buy that theater. We rename it the 30 something movie podcast. There you theater. go. We open it back up. 30 something podcast emporium. Cause why not? Mm -hmm. a, a bespoke movie watching experience. Mm -hmm. There we go. Because everything's got to be bespoke. Yeah, sure. I think bespoke cocktails, bespoke popcorn. Sure. Yeah, we could. Uh, you know what? Actually, we could sweet a bunch of movies. We could just do that. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. But anyway, I, I just yeah, I like I I just sort of appreciate the, the film even. And if you think about it, the, there's also a tension throughout the movie. And I don't know if you experienced it, but like I had nobody in the house. Like Hunter wasn't here. I was watching it and I was just be able to just boom, zone in on and, and plow through it like without any interruptions. And the tension that I, you know, I, I knew the plot, but there's still that in the back of your mind because they start off with the fact that he wasn't supposed to live past, you know, 10 or whatever it was and that he could die at any time. He even says that I can go at any time. And you're just thinking this movie's ending with him dying. 
Like that's right. Like they are setting you up. He's climbing the thing. Mm -hmm. He almost gets drowned. I mean, the tension of taking care of somebody like that is always there that you don't know, like when it's going to be, Oh my God, you know, and who's going to be responsible because they're all kind of sharing responsibility except for the mom really to a certain degree. But well, and we're, we're early you enough have in of his death and then who ends up dying and actually in a way freeing them is the mom, but she at least gets her moment of liberation by going up the stairs. Right. So she kind of, so it's not even just to say she didn't die on the couch. Yeah. She died upstairs in her bed and she got up those stairs and there was something that the other kids saw that in her family, you know, like she was somebody who was dealing with her own demons and obviously the death of her husband and everything else. And it's like, you don't, none of those characters, whether it's the one with the mental um, disability or whether it's her with the weight, none of them are treated as the joke and none of them are made fun of right. in a way that the, that like is to me, like something that you, you, you walk away with a bad taste in your mouth. There's a certain sympathy that you have or an empathy even better than a sympathy is an empathy for those characters. Well, and, and to um, your point earlier too, is that happens with every character. Like there's nobody in this, yeah. nobody in this movie that's a quote unquote bad guy because no. you see Mary Steenburgen's character, like she's no. for as, as creepy as she can come across every now and then you see her, you know, sitting there and just sobbing because Some, she's not and then happy I don't. with her life. And, and I miss and, him and, and I don't. The, well, I even don't. the, even the dad, even the yeah. dad that her husband, you know, yeah. you kind of look at him as like, well, you know, he's kind of the, you know, milk toast husband who is not a very interesting guy. He's pretty boring, but at the same time in the background of some of those scenes where he comes home and, you know, I think she's burned the burn the dinner and he's trying to get the kids in the, know, the, pool, the kids yeah. wanted in the yeah. pool. So he's like, Hey, I got you a pool. And then you can hear him as I think she and Johnny Depp's character are talking in the background. You can hear him going, Hey, I look what I did. I'm trying my best. What more do you want me to do? Like he's desperate too. Cause he's Which is almost, he's saying that yeah. to the kids, but he's almost saying it to her. Right. Right. Even though she's <laughs> not listening. Other person, even though she's not listening, it's right. just like what him going through and he couldn't even, Hey, how about that meeting? Like he could never even bring himself to get past what he needed to get past. Right. So again, I think there's that theme of being stuck like, and so many of the characters are stuck. Like, he was stuck. Like, how do I handle the situation where I know my wife's having this affair and it's with this guy and the kid's a good kid and my wife, I love my wife, but, like, I don't know what to do. And it's like the guy was just, like, totally didn't know how to almost process everything. Yeah. So, it's I don't know, I just... It's basically it, what's eating everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Before we go into three questions, anything else you want to say about this movie? Anything else we haven't touched on? Anything else you wanted to bring up if we haven't brought it up and just the sweet character of what's her name becky uh, yeah yeah like she her kindness just she didn't she didn't have when he she's like oh so this is how it's going to be with him yeah. you know like when he was kind of like oh you can come to the party or not it didn't, didn't it didn't turn into a teen drama where all of a sudden i'm right. so angry it was she just was like okay almost like she she was like an outsider yeah and hers and it's weird is if you remember she saved the mom because the mom was stuck and never traveled. Right. And then here's this girl taking her mom kind of on this whole thing. And they get stuck just enough with the engine and the car and all that stuff till everything resolves itself. Right. And it wasn't the, it wasn't the, the, the disabled brother, which is sort of like what you feel is holding them back the whole time is, 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 is Leo's character. What ends up in a way, what was holding him back to a certain degree was the mom. Right. And you don't really realize that you're thinking it's more that, but it's more the mom in a way was holding them back. And that was because they had to do the job of a parent, but they, in the end, she's not there anyway. So, you know, like at the end, and they were able to somehow move on. Right. 
burn the house and the house was a symbol for that too so i think there's just a lot of that whole loss and redemption and or liberty liberation and moving from stuck and pursuing dreams not even if sure if you're what they're going to be yeah but yeah so, anyway all right sorry for the rant no. I, that's what we're here for we're here to rant it's it's an audio rant is basically what we are all right here's three questions he asks each traveler five questions. Three questions. Three questions. It's impossible to answer. Impossible because you don't know the answer. Nobody could answer that question. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. I want to have them answered immediately. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. All right, three questions this time around. Question number one, which are better, red or green grapes? Red. I am also a fan of They're just of red. sweeter. They are. Unless you get the cotton candy green ones, and then, well, you know. We so bought, I suppose it's all relative, right? We, we went to the grocery <laughs> store because my kids like green. If they have to eat grapes, they're going to eat green grapes. I'm much more of a red grape person. And so we went to the store and bought green grapes, and these things were massive. Don't you love it when they're just they huge, huge and juicy? They were like the they were the size of my big toe. They were huge. I'm not touching that one. <laughs> I, I don't want you touching my feet. That's good. There's, there's a line in Pulp Fiction about that, but I don't know what it is. <laughs> oh, hey now. Would you would you give a guy a foot massage? No. No, okay. That was I think that so, was a line from Pulp Fiction. Pat, what I about gave, you? So you're saying I gave one Marcellus Wallace? I gave, I gave you're one Marcellus Wallace through Tony Rocky Horror out of the <laughs> top store window of building for a foot massage? Hey man, uh, what, I, you gave me mean, a foot massage during the movie. Is that what you're trying to I say? Said, well, you were you were sleeping today during the movie. I gave you a short <laughs> foot massage. You didn't even notice. I wasn't. I wasn't. I wasn't asleep. I was just appreciating the wide angle on the big screen. That explains I, the smile on your face. I, I had to. I had That's to crane it. my neck. You figured it out. My, I had to crane my neck back to to take it all in. You know. <laughs> All right, answer the question. I'm going to go with red. Red red grapes as well. Number one, I know that it's supposedly healthier. has that, that. reservatrol in there. And then I just say I've always been more partial to the uh, the red. Yeah, I, I am a red grape person. Pat, did you say yours? I am an every grape person. Okay. I, I, I can't pick. It's flavor of the day, the mood I'm in. Sometimes I mix it. Sometimes I shut my eyes and just try and guess which one I'm pulling out of the fridge. We get the three pack that has the red grapes and the green grapes. And then the, and then the, like, I don't know if they're black or dark purple or whatever, like really dark grapes. I never met a grape. I didn't like. And then some people just want to watch the world burn and they buy the ones that are not seedless. Yo, that's a challenge. Yeah, I don't understand that. I, Yep, you got You got to be ready for that because it's. Yeah, that could be bad, but yeah. no, I like. I like all. I like all the grapes. All right. Pat doesn't see color when it comes to grapes. I don't see color when it comes to grapes. Okay. All right. Question number two: What is the highest structure, man-made or otherwise, that you would willingly climb? A six-foot ladder comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> yes, sir. Willingly climb. 
just trying to think what I've done. And I do mean climb. Like, I don't mean you go into the, like, the Sears Tower and go up to the top floor in an elevator. I'm, I'm talking about yeah, You weren't saying hiking either, were you? The mountains and hiking counter and that, really. Not really. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking it's of something climbing. that you kind you're of would have to climb up. up. Yeah. You're saying, like, if you're talking mountain, that's like put the little thing in there, the carabiner hook, yeah, crawl yeah. up the side, put another one. Okay. Yeah, like you're, you know, without without jet boots or anything. <laughs> Fascinating. What would you like to do next? <laughs> on the contrary, gravity is foremost on my mind. Yeah, I would think it would have to be like a 12, 15-foot ladder. Like anything, would, eh, no. Yeah, I mean, I as a kid, as a kid, I, I there was a tree in our backyard. I would climb that. But mm-hmm. that thing was probably no bigger than 12 or 15 feet off the ground. I, me and heights don't get along with each other. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I tend to, in fact, I don't even necessarily do all that well. I mean, I start to get real nervous just if I was to, in fact, I've been told not to get up on a ladder to fix anything on top of our house or anything like that. So for, for both the safety of myself and others, I start to get a little uneasy with even just that. So. I am not, I'm, I'm not, I won't be climbing the water tower. Let's just put it that mm-hmm. way. If, if we went to go live in Andorra, I'm not climbing the water tower. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to go with mine and, and I try to think back like when you, you do the technicality of climbing and you do have to climb this and yeah. it would be a 10 meter platform dive, diving board. Okay. And the reason I would do that is because it's not the climb, it's the getting there and what I get to do at the end, which is jump in the water from a height, which I love to do. I don't like the getting there. I used to be nervous. My dad worked at IIT and, you know, he's a swim coach there. So he had the lower level ladder and the tire taller one. My brother would never go on the tall one and I would climb up that one. But man, when I would climb, I would, I'd be like ever, I was holding on with, you know, four points of contact and all like, like Mm -hmm. you're you're just going up and it was the nervous, the most nervous part was going up, getting on the, on the thing. Once I got there and I jumped in the water, it was great. I loved it. But the climb, so I would say I would be willing to climb, a platform diving board just because there's a reward at the end of getting to jump in the water, which I love, but I absolutely am terrified of the climb up. Okay. But I'm willing to do it because of the benefit of being able to jump at the end. Okay. My follow-up question to that scenario is, are, is there a possibility of more than four points of contact? <laughs> well, it depends who else was in the pool. Like, can, can I just have like <laughs> one, can I have one point of contact where I just lay flat and don't go anywhere? <laughs> An elevator. Yes. I don't get why they don't just have elevators for that. Yeah. I see. For me, there would there would be no joy in jumping off at the end. That would also terrify me. So I, I'm oh, not, yeah. I'm not going up either way. But. That's fun. I like that part. I did some cliff diving too, a little bit. Okay. Yeah. That I'm Back not going to a little. Patrick, did you answer yours? I yeah. You know. I don't know. I, I've never, I've never been much of a climber. So, I mean, I'm not, Hey, I'm going to go out and mountain climb and all this kind of thing. Are you I mean, afraid, I've done are some you climbing. afraid of heights though? So I, you know, I guess the answer would be yes. I, I don't quite have this like ooh, fear, but you know, it's funny. I was experimenting with this. I was on a ledge somewhere and I get this real weird, like this kind of like zing in my chest and in the back of my throat, like, Ooh, I'm close to the edge. And I'm like, is this just a nervous reaction? So I walked and looked over and it was, I don't know, it was a, 
I forget where the heck I was. It wasn't up on the roof because I've gone up on the roof of my house and everything. And I looked over and I got that feeling like, Ooh, I'm going to fall off. And then I just sat there and I'm like, I wonder if I just sit here and just try to calm down if, if it'll go away. And it didn't go away. And I'm like, this is really interesting. And then I backed <laughs> away from the edge and it went away. And I'm like, let me inch up to the edge again and look down. And it was like, zing, right back. You see, that's like, the difference between you I, and me. I wouldn't get that close in the first place, let alone <laughs> go back. Yeah. Well, it, it was, it was kind of like data when he put the emotion chip in, this is revolting. Would you like more? Yes. And it was kind of like, what is causing this reaction? Like, I'm not, there's I'm a not challenge panicking. there. Well, yeah. There's a certain you know, challenge I, there when you do that and you experience, cause I have the same thing. Like I am, I actually probably would say I'm afraid of heights, but I will keep trying to conquer them or like challenge them. Yeah. Or like, why do I have it? Like I, when they even show videos or pictures where it used to be old guys in the old days working on the top of the towers in New York city. Oh, building, yeah. Forget it. Forget have, about there it. was some 3d one where they had that. I remember grabbing out of my seat, just holding the seat, like, and I'm sitting in a theater, yeah. but like anytime you show any of that stuff, I like, I get my legs go weird and I, yeah. I'll toy with that. Like Pat vertigo, that. baby. It's a, I, I don't, I don't just avoid it. I toy with it. I won't go yeah. like dive into it full and climb up some tower, but at the same time where that happens, I, I want to peek over that. I just see like, why is that happening? Like kind of like you said, yeah. like, why is it happening? And, and can is I it jelly stop? legs? And, and yeah, not like pulse? kind of a jelly leg, sort of a weird. Yeah. yeah. And what's, what's causing this? Yeah. And it's like, okay, my pulse isn't racing. I don't have sweaty palms, but my legs are feeling a little shaky. Okay. And I've got this weird thing in my, yeah. So it's just. And it makes me want to grab the ground. Yeah. Like I want to go lower yeah. to the ground, like, like, like terra firma. Yeah. And then the, the other piece of it is too, like I, you know, I've done some climbing walls and I've done all that, but you know, like climbing up a water tower, you know, I'd have no incentive to do that because it's like, if I can't trust what's happening with my body, like if I, if I'm going to get jelly legs, that'd be a heck of a time to be at the top and get jelly legs, you know, like you kind of, I, I mean, I, I kind of, that's how, when I, when I do like a risk assessment for something that I'm going to do, it's always like, okay, how am I going to respond? You know, like even like climbing, I'm not just going to go jump and climb up a wall. I'm going to get with someone that can tell me how to do it. Do you know what I'm saying? Like I, it's just how my, my how my mind works. All right. It made me think of another thing too. So here's another one I'd add in there, the diving board, but I also add in, what about, would you guys do zip lines? You know, because I don't know. out, out I, in I California, would, I would actually uh, there do was a, one that I was worth a climb. Line. You had to get all the way to the top, but then when you did, you had like nine zip lines that you went, you know, and they were in redwoods, big, huge redwoods. So you were at the top of redwoods. It was absolutely like you were high up there, and it was it was breathtaking and nerve wracking and clinging to a tree for a while. By the end of it, I was better, but like you got to clip your thing on. You're sliding over. I mean that that. So here's here's where you I make do that, a, Pat, too? here's where I make a distinction on that. I I do enjoy roller coasters, so I will go mm -hmm. in roller coasters. I think I w I've never done a zip line of that size before. I've done like when I was a little kid that we had like a zip line type thing at the uh, park that was near our house. I would do a zip line, like if you were doing a zip line over, you know, so a wooded area or something like that. I would actually do that. I don't think I would ever do bungee jumping. So that's yeah. kind of that's like where I draw the distinction is if I feel secure enough, like I'm I'm strapped in and I'm locked into the zip line. Fine. I know that I would be strapped in and locked into the bungee jumping, but it's just something about the jump 
as opposed to the, you know, traveling down a line that is secured in place. And I know it's secured in place. I think it's the slack in a bungee line that, you know, makes me feel Mm -hmm. like I'm just free falling that I don't think I would ever do that. Mm -hmm. But zipline, I could see doing a zipline. Right. Would you zipline through space, John? No. Okay. No, I am. What about skydiving? No, until after I'm dead, I'm never leaving this earth. Skydiving is on my list. I almost came close a few times back when some of our coworkers went and, and, and I was going to, at the time I had pressure from my spouse to not do that. And you're going to leave kids orphaned and all that stuff. <laughs> so wow. I was guilted. a little harsh. I was, yeah, I was guilted. I was guilted into not doing it. So I was like, well, but then I, you know, like, okay, so if I die, then I'll feel bad because then the kids will, you know, like, okay. No, you won't. You'll be dead. But then that's, that's what I also then said. I go, but will I really? <laughs> so it was, it was, yeah. And I was like, ah, you just ruined it. Thanks. So now I can't go because I'm struggling with this. Like, what if you're saying it's being irresponsible, taking some ridiculous jump out of a plane for no reason? What if you, what if you go with your kids? Well, then I would, if they, if theirs isn't open, then I'm going to catch hell for that. <laughs> So, yeah, but eventually, I don't know. I think Autumn will eventually go. I don't know. Hunter won't. I think he's more afraid of heights. Autumn is afraid of, they did the zip lining though with me in certain places and they did the ropes where you walk across the little rope bridges on your things. And so I think Autumn would be up for that. She loves roller coasters. I love roller coasters. Hunter will do them, but he's more afraid of those. But we did do Goliath. Did you have done Goliath over at Great America? Mm-hmm. I have. I haven't been to Great American years. Got a pretty great, crazy first drop. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much straight yeah, down. Yeah. That's crazy. All right. And question number three, what is your favorite Leonardo DiCaprio role? I, I went over, I looked through the list on IMDb and I was trying to go through, I'm like, okay, well, what movies, we're talking about his favorite role. Now there are movies on his list where I like those movies, better than some of his others, but what was the role that he played where I was like, that's my favorite role of his. And I don't know if I'm, I don't think I'm going to say this one, even though I think he does an amazing job with this one. And I started to look at some of the others and some of my favorite movies of his are like, you know, I, I, I did enjoy Titanic. I did enjoy the Romeo and Juliet. I did enjoy the quick and the dead. You know, I obviously enjoyed this one. I did enjoy Shutter Island, Inception, you know, some of those. I, I actually have not seen The Great Gatsby or Wolf of Wall Street. I haven't seen a lot of his movies in the last few years. Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, I haven't seen, <laughs> haven't seen those, so I do have some catching up to do there. However, I think one of my favorite roles of his is from Catch Me If You Can. Yeah, I was just going to say. I think that's probably my favorite role of his. It's the he's it's really the, good in that. It, it is the most to me. It's the most entertaining of his roles. Yeah. So that's my mm-hmm. answer. I'm going to go with Catch Me If You Can. And the way you set that up makes it difficult, and that should have been in the question. But anyway, <laughs> hey, if if ifs and buts were candy nuts, what a Merry Christmas it would be. Because <laughs> it is. It's like what movie, and then what role when you think about just the quality of his acting or the way he portrays character. I actually one that pops to mind is the Django Unchained. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. I think the guy he plays in there is, I think is just wicked. I just think he is just so good and cre- like him at that dinner scene. Damn, I'm afraid of him. And I never thought after watching the beach 
you know, seeing the trailer for the beach with him that I would ever be afraid of Leonardo DiCaprio in a movie. Right. And then I would, might, I might, man, Shutter Island's a good one. <sighs> and then, and then I would, Blood Diamonds is, a, I actually have a favorite of mm. Blood Diamonds. He's really good in that. Yeah. So, I mean, I would, I, I'm pulling a Mazooka and doing those three maybe right now. I think that Blood Diamonds overall, scene yep. when they're on, I think on a helicopter and he's yeah. talking about how the, country's name mm-hmm. changed and the mm-hmm. political stuff like that just that scene still to this day like that's how i know that answer on when it comes up on jeopardy is because of that scene like <laughs> yep. i mean the departed is good too i mean it's just those are probably- I, I was thinking cool. of the departed gangs of new york oh yeah yeah i haven't seen the revenant but i've heard good things yeah yeah, I haven't seen that either. That's one that I have not seen that I've been meaning to see. I, I did enjoy him in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I still haven't seen that one. Ooh, yeah. I still need to see that. Yeah. But oh, I, I think yeah. you guys haven't seen that yet. It was good. I want to see it again. Like, it was fun. Pat will be upset with the Bruce Lee scene, though. Well, yeah. <laughs> Pat is going to maybe break, might break a TV at the Bruce Lee scene. Well, no, that's not, that's, you know. He was funny. Did you guys see that Netflix movie? I think it was Netflix. The Don't Look Up. Yes, he was, yeah, he was very he was, good in that. He was good in that. I didn't, like his, I didn't that? like his character so much, like the actual character, Don't but I liked the way up. he played that character. Yeah. Bo, you were saying what was that one? It's, oh, it's, that sounds fun. Yeah, it's, it's basically. If you haven't seen Don't Look Up, you should watch it. It's yeah. a good movie. It's basically yeah. these, these astronomers figure out that the Earth is going to be destroyed. And they're trying oh, to convince this is everybody. the one I want to see. This is the yes, yeah. yes, 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 yes. Yeah, he's good in that. I just forgot he was in it. I was picturing uh, honestly, I was picturing Jennifer Lawrence, Meryl Streep, and Kate Blanchett. But... Oh, uh... <laughs> the guy who gets the the what you call it though is is the Peter guy, the uh, the scientist, the, the guy who's like what kind of like a bill, like a, like a, what's he who's he supposed to be? Kind of a mock. You know the expert yeah, guy. Was... He talks really weird. He's just really weird. Knows everything. Was he the expert or was Peter, he the millionaire? He was the, I think he was like the, was he the millionaire? Maybe he was the millionaire too. Yeah. The guy, mm-hmm. he, he was a very weird character. Talked weird. I think it was played. I guess Mark, Mark oh. Rylance played him. It was Peter, Peter Isherwell, I think is. Yep. The, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the guy I'm talking, if you watch a clip wow. of that, that guy was just bizarre, man. Yeah. That, that was the, he's told that movie. That's going to be a- that is going to be fun. I'm going to have to watch that. I know it's exactly how movie. you're going to pinpoint <laughs> the minute you die and how you die. Yeah. Oh, that was a good movie. Another good DiCaprio that I don't know if we've mentioned yet is The Aviator. Yeah. Very good. When he plays Howard Hughes. Yeah. 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 I really, I really enjoyed The Aviator. I really thought his portrayal was pretty, uh, was pretty awesome in there. You mentioned Gangs of New York. I, I really love that movie. He's great in there. I I don't know. I'd have to say my favorite DiCaprio role would have been was it Frank Costigan in The Departed? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I I like his character in there and it's no, he's Billy. William, yeah. William Billy, Billy Costigan. Billy Costigan. Yep. But it was Costigan. Because Frank Costello was, is Jack Nicholson's character. Costello mm-hmm. is Nicholson's character. And then his dad, yeah. I was combining the two. Or he was Frank. Yeah, he, he, just, was, he was Frank Abagnale. If, catch me if you can. Frank Ab- Abagnale. Yeah. 
I mean, you look at his, I don't know, man. You look at his, his list of movies and God, that's just a phenomenal. I mean, for yeah. somebody to be in one of those movies would be like, wow, a successful career. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this guy's like in so many. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest, like I'm telling you back, I think it was Titanic heyday. And then the beach came out, I think after it, correct? Mm-hmm. I remember everybody was in love with Leo from the Titanic and there was a bit of like, you know, early, whatever jealousy, I'm sure. Like, Oh, cause everybody talked to all the girls about oh, Leo, Leo. He's so, Oh my God, beautiful love story. And he's so great. And then I was like, okay. And then he came out and he was doing like martial arts on the beach and the beach one. And he was like, it's the acting just looked really bad. I don't know. I think that movie is probably bad. I didn't see all of it or anything. I saw clips. Mm-hmm. It's like, I go, okay, well his career's over. <laughs> and then no, <nope. laughs> No, nope. how wrong was that? Yeah. Not so much. Just a bit outside. Well, and I wouldn't have thought that because of obviously you could act with, with with the one we just saw with what's eating Gilbert Grape, and I'm like, that's just a phenomenal performance. So he's he's an actor, but it was like, are they going to steer him into this trying to make him some macho character when he wasn't ready for it yet? You know, so I was kind of like, you know, there's a bit of jealousy and a little bit of honest criticism of like, yeah, I'm not I'm not buying that character from him yet. Yeah, man. Like I said, the Django Unchained, man. Yeah, You've all seen, seen all that. Have everybody seen that? Yeah, Django Unchained is one of my favorite westerns. Yeah, like him. The the whole dinner scene where Django. he, him, man. I'm afraid. To, I'm I'm like I'm just quiet during that scene because you're just worried this guy's gonna go nuts on you. And then he talks about the head and cracking somebody's skull. Like it's it, it, yeah. when he starts yelling. I think he has spit flying out of his mouth when he yells during that too. Yeah. It's like you are, you're in the role right there when you're doing that. You're not yelling or, or saying your lines, you're living your lines. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You start seeing spit fly out of an actor's mouth. It's like, yeah. All right. I think we got everybody's, we get everybody's, I mean, we, we all listed like five different things, but. Yeah, I think we listed his entire body of work. We've, we've, I think we've decided he's pretty good. good. Yeah. Yeah. I think we we listed everything except for Don's Plum from two thousand one, hmm. which actually I think well, is his, Don's Plum, which I think he is a his good job lowest ranked movie. So, yeah, I'm not even sure I want to know. Yeah, I one I wanted to see at the theater, but it's really long as the Killers of the Flower Moon. Yeah, yeah, yeah a couple yeah. of it's like three hours though. Yeah, I just a couple don't of the know. media club kids were talking about going to see it. I don't know if they did or not. Well, that is going to do it for this episode, and uh, we are now about halfway through the month of December here, so next week we're going to have Tombstone. We should have Mm. a special guest with us for that one. The week after that, Son-in-Law, again, special guest host on that one. Nightmare Before Christmas is going to finish off our last kind of regular episode of the year, but then right before New Year's, we're going to give you another little gift, the gift of Enter the Dragon from 1973, Mm. so that one will be coming as well and then looking ahead again to january this is our law and order month our patreon episode will be seven samurai i believe our patreon short will be stephen king's the stand from 1994 and then our regular episodes are naked gun 33 and a third beverly hills cop 3 the getaway the chase and wyatt earp that is all coming in january so gents thank you as always for being here thank you Thank thank you thank you john all right, everybody, be excellent with each other. Go climb a water tower, maybe, and watch a good movie while you're up there. Or, or don't. Maybe just stay on the ground and watch a good movie. One massive point of contact is what I'm saying. Just lay down. Don't go anywhere. Don't climb. <laughs>